And a swing and a ground ball to short. Big hop for Correa. And the Astros have advanced to the division series against Kansas City with a 3 to nothing win here at Yankee Stadium. Coming at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas, you're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton and Kevin Cook. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 37 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined this week by my co-host, Kevin Cook. Jeremy Paxson is having issues with his puppy and has the week off. For those that live in Houston, the Final Four is taking place not far from the We Dessert studio. And Kevin, you've been covering the festivities. How has your week been? Uh, it's very stressful. That's a big event. That is, um, you know, I, I kind of, I'm a journalist or whatever. I don't necessarily feel like I belong, uh, you know, in a, an event that large with that many big names, big faces, big people, whatever. So it took me a bit to get adjusted. Uh, kind of had a starstruck moment um, when Turner and CBS had their media availability. And I got to talk with Charles Barkley and Ernie Johnson, who were both, uh, just absolutely fantastic people. Um, Charles, obviously, very, very funny. Ernie, very articulate and nice. And I've since kind of observed Ernie walking around NRG Stadium. And I tell you, he's got a smile and a handshake or a pat on the back um, or a kind word for every human being he runs across. So if you've heard stories about Ernie Johnson being just a delightful human being, I assure you all of them are true. So it's been an interesting week um, getting acclimated to all the festivities at NRG. But I'm really excited for the uh, national championship game tomorrow. We'll discuss a little bit more on the Final Four here in just a few minutes. But- but uh, for those following, uh, I actually just got back from Europe this past week. And so, with, you know, I'm struggling a little bit with jet lag. I, th- I can't tell you how many times I've gone to bed uh, before 930 this past week and woken up in the six o'clock hour without an alarm. So that's a little bit hectic. But uh, other than that, it's good to be back here in the great state of Texas. But diving in specifically to the Final Four real quick, Kevin. I mean, Kevin has been at the Final Four providing great coverage of, you know, everything that's going on. And again, you can find all of his work on HCN online or your Houston News. And uh, Kevin, the two games on Saturday weren't as good as many people had hoped they would be. What was the vibe being there at Energy Stadium on Saturday night? First of all, just in the interest of self-promotion, I'd like to say you can also follow me at, at KMichaelCook on Twitter. I tweet out all of the articles that I'm uh, most proud of and, and the articles that have the most national stuff. So you won't get my high school stuff there necessarily. But at KMichaelCook, the games, yeah, poor quality of games. Now, admittedly, I didn't necessarily get to see them up close. My media seat is, I don't know, roughly in the same zip code as the game that's occurring, but it's it's difficult to, uh, to see exactly what's going on. It's more like watching the game on a big screen with other very unimportant media members. So you get a good idea of exactly where you rank in the local and national media scene when you have to go to a big event like this. And uh, and certainly I'm at the, you know, the very end of the totem pole. And that's fine. Obviously, I'm not very important yet, and I hope to be someday. But uh, Dolores Lozano, actually, uh, a, a friend of ours and a podcast cast guest was seated about two seats to my left. She also agreed the seats were a little bit brutal. But um, I mean, you could just tell it was uh, it was interesting witnessing a historical event um, and not necessarily like a good one. You know, it'd be one thing if you had like one of the best Final Four games of all time that you were sort of uh, witness to and were there in attendance for. Being witness to one of the largest blowouts in history or the largest actually in Final Four history was... Um, it didn't have that same feeling of momentousness to it, uh, which is kind of unfortunate. It was only after the fact that we even realized it was that big of a deal. Also, a lot of people don't realize the efficiency was nearly historic as well. Um, in 1985, of course, Villanova against, I believe it was the Hoyas, uh, shot like 78.6% from the floor. This game was something like 71.4% from the floor. So it was uh, the second uh, most efficient scoring night in uh, NCAA Final Four history. So, I mean, all kinds of records being set there, but it didn't feel like we were watching history necessarily. It just felt like we were watching a poor, down-and-out Sooners team get absolutely beaten to death uh, on the floor in front of us. Yeah, I was a little surprised. Buddy Heald, who, again, won the Oscar Robinson Player of the Year award that was announced last Friday, I was surprised at how you know poorly he played. He started the game off strong, hitting that opening three for OU, but then it just seemed like OU couldn't buy a bucket there late in the game. And then... Of course, North Carolina was definitely overpowering for Syracuse, but uh, definitely hoping for a better game here on Monday night. But uh, you actually had the chance to speak with Charles Barkley this week. How was that? It was delightful. I mean, he's a hilarious human being. Now, it was not one-on-one. I don't want to mislead anybody there. It was uh, the Turner media availability, so there were probably you know uh, 12 other guys in there with me talking to Charles. But he was personable, knew most of them by name, um, was having conversations with us, and was uh, as amusing as you'd want. I was actually surprised at how um, quick-witted he was off the cuff. 
and uh, and how easy he was to talk to. And it was kind of funny because they had all of the guys. We're talking like Jim Nance, Ernie Johnson, Kenny Smith was there. All the guys were sort of milling about in this room, and Charles Barkley was a little bit late. They were all in suits. He walked in in like sweats and a t-shirt, and I mean, it was immediately like anybody that was talking to anyone else immediately rushed over to Charles's table and had to sit down and have a word with him. And he was, um, it was worth it. I mean, he was hilarious and he was on point and he addressed a number of different subjects. And I think we have some audio here that we're going to drop in as well, but uh, it was, uh, it was a delight getting to meet and chat with him for a little bit. Let's go ahead and drop in the audio in which Charles Barkley is discussing the, the factors of shooting inside a domed environment. I've been complaining about it for the last few years, but they're not going to change it now. You know, this, uh, you can't make shots in domes, man. It's like one of the most awful places to play. I mean, you know, I'm not an analytic guy, but what's up, man? How you doing? But if you go back and look at the shooting percentages, percentages in the domes the last X amount of years, they get worse. So that's unfortunate. But this thing is, I will admit, man, this Saturday is to me is one of the coolest things I've ever been to in my life. When you have those four teams there, it's really cool. But you really can't, you know, they're not going to go back to small arenas. That's not going to happen. But I will tell you, though, that Saturday uh, is one of the coolest things I've ever been to in my life when you have those four fan bases going crazy in the beginning of the day. Kevin, that seemed almost accurate. He said that nobody was going to shoot well and that if anybody did, it might be Buddy Heald. But Villanova had no problems in the Dome environment. Yeah, Villanova had no problems of any kind. It was remarkable what they were able to do efficiency-wise. I would say that looking at the other half of that first game slate, there might be some truth to it. Almost everyone I spoke to, um, you know, it's the sort of thing that seems apocryphal, uh, but everybody I spoke to said, yeah, it really does make a difference, whether it's, you know, assistant coaches I spoke to or media members that cover these teams. They say that playing in these large domed environments really does affect, I guess, its depth perception and the ability ability to um, line up and take a shot accurately. So, But Villanova, um, Jay Wright talked about some of the practices they had and how they game planned for that. You know, They had experience playing in large domes before as well, so it's um, something that they were prepared for. Oklahoma, on the other hand, did not look prepared um, for anything, whether it was shooting in a dome or playing the game of basketball in general. They just looked absolutely bewildered for most of that game. Yeah, sad showing for the Big 12 Conference, and uh, you know, my pick before the season started was for North Carolina to win the national championship game. If they can do it on Monday night, then I am proven right. But as I told Kevin on Saturday, I actually thought that Oklahoma would win straight up against Villanova, and that was the largest blowout that I've ever seen. So don't listen to myself or Kevin when it comes to gambling advice. But enough of basketball talk. We'll get into more of that here uh, you know, next week as we kind of recap the national championship game. But we want to we want to provide a reminder to all of our listeners that you can follow all of you know the coverage that we provide at the Weekly Brew on our social media platforms. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook. Facebook, Twitter, and on Instagram. And you can also find all of our work on weeklybrewcast.com. And also, we'd like to thank our sponsors, We Desserts, for helping to make this show possible. And uh, Kevin, I actually made it out to We Desserts on Sunday afternoon, and uh, it was great as ever. Boy, they have a new brownie a la mode, which is just one of the most delicious things that I've ever seen or tasted. It's uh, it's remarkable and on par with anything you'd find at any of the fine dining establishments that have those uh, fancy high-priced desserts. We Desserts, 3411 Kirby, uh, always churning out new stuff. They got Wi-Fi there now. It's a good place to hang out. They put up some new art. Uh, Penny and Jen are always there behind the counter uh, waiting uh, with a friendly smile unless you know penny is irritated in which case she'll be in the back whoever's looking at you is going to smile you don't have to worry about that so definitely drop into uh, we desserts or you can order on uh what is that uber eats i believe it's called you can but it's important to note that um if you use uber eats or they have a groupon coming up you do not also get your 10 percent discount as a weekly brew listener so choose wisely if you're going to go into we desserts um you're, you're guaranteed to have at least a 10 percent discount by saying you're a listener of this podcast but uh, there are also some other deals available if you if you look around but you can't combine them that's that's just common sense sense people you've you've shopped before you understand how this works right <laughs> absolutely so make sure to go to we desserts at 3411 kirby here in houston tell penny and jen that the guys at the weekly brew since you buy and as I mentioned a little bit earlier jeremy paxson has the week off and kevin is actually tied up with more final four coverage so joining me here in a few minutes to discuss major league baseball and the houston astros with richard justice of mlb.com will be andrew cooley who spent some time playing college baseball and also is on one of our earlier podcasts back in the fall also we'll have tom truver on who is part of the band Second Lovers to discuss some exciting news for the Houston-based band. And as always, it's time to grab a drink, sit back, listen, and be informed. 
You're listening to The Weekly Brew. As mentioned during our show intro, Andrew Cooley is pinch hitting for both Kevin and Jeremy as we preview the upcoming MLB season with Richard Justice. And Andrew, following last season's playoff run, how excited are you for the 2016 season? Well, being an Astros fan, it's got to be real exciting coming off that just impressive season last year and with some key additions this year, really sky's the limit with a young team, a lot of talent. So just in this city alone, I think there's a lot of excitement, just Houston sports in general, ready for basketball season to be over. So we can focus on baseball season and get back to just positive thoughts again. So you're absolutely ready for Crush City to come back. I guess before we get started here, are you ready for your first podcast interview being an actual guest host? You know, it's a, it's a little less pressure, I think, to not have the extra analysis. I'm not going to try to compete with Richard Justice on who knows more about stats and whatnot. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited. All right, perfect. Well, we're glad to have you on, and uh, let's go ahead and dive into things. Now joining us on the Weekly Brew is Richard Justice of MLB.com, who has covered Major League Baseball for more than three decades. Richard, thanks for joining us this week, and how are you doing as we gear up for yet another season of America's Pastime? Oh, I'm excited. I always I get the same vibe on opening day. I can't wait for it to get started. I was watching the first inning of the Cardinals and the Pirates, and it seemed like a Game 7 of the World Series. I was just so happy to have it back. We're a Houston-based podcast, and last year the Astros flew under the radar and route to a wild-card berth and a divisional round exit to the eventual World Series champion Kansas City Royals. The Astros aren't going to sneak up on anyone this year, and some you know, pro- prognosticators have even said that they might be the favorite in the American League. How good can this club be this season? If they stay healthy. If they stay healthy, and that means getting McCullers back and productive and getting Gaddis back, and they don't suffer any devastating injuries. If they get a full season, Carlos Gomez, Carlos Correa, George Springer, etc., they're as good as anybody in the American League. And I think the one thing is when you look at every other team in the American League, whether it be the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Royals, the Mariners, there's a yes, but. And I'm not sure there's a yes, but with the Astros. I, I think McCullers is very important. He gives the rotation a different look, uh, much like Aaron Sanchez gives the Blue Jays. But I think those veteran guys at the end of the rotation, Fires and Feldman and Fister, I think they're all going to be impactful, especially Fister. If he's healthy, he didn't have the smoothest spring spring training so we'll see how that goes but you know what ties into this it's part of what the reason Keiko and McHugh have been so successful is the Astros are so sophisticated so data driven in terms of how you attack the other team's hitter and exploiting weaknesses and, and all of that I just think the com- the combination of the organizational intellect and the people they put together uh, is uh, is a good combination now, what you don't want them to lose is the sense of fun, the sense of recklessness, you know, getting guys thrown out on the bases and all, whatever, you know, you think of what that, that the plus and minuses of that. It was a certain attitude. And I don't want to see any back off in Springer and Gomez being loud in the dugout and having fun. That was part of what made the Astros go. But I, I, I think, you know, it's one thing to be good, and, it's, it's, and, and they're good. But it's another thing to be interesting, and they're also interesting. They've got it's it's as good a clubhouse as I've ever been around. And, and Bill Brown and I were talking about this last year. He he knew Sparky Anderson very well. I knew Sparky only only uh, you know from a distance, knew him, but only from a distance. And I knew and I covered Earl Weaver, and I, we had never been more impressed with the job a manager did uh, than AJ Hinch did dealing with the players, running a game. Uh, creating the right vibe, which is in, at the end of the day is the manager's number one job. And he was great at that. I, I really fell in love with the guy. And one of my questions for you is the Astros, they've got obviously the reigning AL Cy Young winner at Dallas Keuchel coming back. Colin McHugh, who had a, a phenomenal season last year. Uh, Lance McCullers figures into the rotation once he comes back off the disabled list. But then you've got Scott Feldman, Mike Fires, and the last guy that you mentioned, uh, Doug Fister. Now, he's a guy in 2014 that put up phenomenal numbers but struggled a little bit last year you know, with injuries and so on and so forth. How can he factor into this rotation if he's healthy, and do you see any upside with him this season? Well, if he's healthy, he is a guy that can pitch in the upper half of the rotation and has done that before. What happened to him last year was he got hurt. He tried to pitch through it. By the time he got healthy, he, uh, you know, the Nationals were in a must-win situation. They put him out of the bullpen and brought him back. And let's, frankly, when he came, when he recovered from the injury, his mechanics were so. He's a tall guy. 
and sometimes with tall guys, there's a lot of moving parts in, in the in the uh, in the mechanical part of uh, part of the delivery. He just got all screwed up, and down the stretch, he was pretty good. And I think that's what the Astros are banking on that he's going to be okay. Now, if you want an alarm bell, the alarm bell was wasn't exactly the smoothest spring for Doug, but to me, he's a guy that has a track record of um, of just being good. You know way he picked added the change up to his career and I think he will thrive working with one of the great pitching coaches in the game Brent Strom and also frankly the 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 scouting report on how to attack hitters I think he will I think he will love being a member of the Houston Astros so I think he's okay and Feldman and Fires are guys that I mean if you I remember before Mike Fires came to the Astros uh, the Brewers guys would tell you hey check out the guy check out Fires number check out his numbers over the last two or three years Guy's a pretty productive starting pitcher. And Scott Feldman has proved that he can be a productive starting pitcher. Are those top of the rotation guys? No. And that's why you need Keiko, McHugh, and McCullers. And you probably need somebody to emerge from the system, whether that's Francis Marte or eventually getting Michael Feliz stretched out or somebody like that. They have a high-end guys in the system. Um, you know, and everything's connected to every other little thing from terms of their rotation you know, especially those back-end guys, they need to get to the sixth inning, seventh inning with a lead, and then you tell the manager, okay, buddy, you figure it out from here. You mentioned the, the Astros really down the stretch. You know, they've, they've had a little – some pitching was really the issue. I actually sat right next to the bullpen, Nashville's bullpen, for game four of that Royal Series, and there was just outrage from fans right near there. It was kind of an ugly scene, really – the Astros, they've added Ken Giles. Um, now there's a little bit of debate who's going to be the closer with Gregerson. Have they done enough to shore up the bullpen to really fix that, plug that hole? Yeah, and remember they reached sign Tony Sip. And I think it's important to note that for most of last season, they were a really, really good bullpen. And uh, they just got worn out at the end, and that's going to happen. It just They picked a bad month to have a bad month, and their bad month was September. And then they had one real horrible afternoon in the, in the postseason. And so Ken Giles makes them deeper. But the way I look at it is when you you build a bullpen backwards, and they built it backwards with Giles and Gregerson and Nishak and Sip and Harris and Fields. I mean, and now I think uh, Feliz is going to be out there at least at the start of the season. That's good. Now, in a perfect world, would you like Gregerson to have pitched more than one time? Yeah. Would you have liked Giles to have been better? Yeah, you would have. But now you just you really measure by when the lights come on. And they, to me, it's a lot of quality arms. And when I look at that bullpen, I can't look at another bullpen in baseball and say, okay, that bullpen's better than the one in Houston. But it's going to come down now. Like, you know, if you don't have the ninth inning taken care of, and you don't have the eighth inning taken care of, the whole thing comes apart. But I think it's good, and I think A.J. Hinch does a great job managing the bullpen. And I know the pitching coach, Brent Strom, does a good job in managing the workload, managing the attitude, and, and all of that. You know, you're right about picking the closer – that's a delicate thing in that I would assume if Gregerson had been healthy, he'd be the guy because he's a veteran guy. Ken, Ken Giles has way more tomorrows than yesterday's in his career. Uh, but given the injury, you know, the, the fact that Luke didn't pitch very much in spring training, I would guess that if they have a lead Monday at the Yankee Stadium, Ken Giles would get the ball. But we'll see about that. And people say, well, you know, in the analytics part of it, you don't uh, have to designate a closer. Your key out may be in the seventh inning. But I think even the analytics people admit that didn't work out, that you, the players want to know when that phone rings, they want to know who's going to be counted on. And I think that really means sort of ironing out the roles in the ninth, eighth, and seventh, you know, if everyone's fresh. And to get to that bullpen, you need starting pitchers that can go deep into games. And Dallas Keuchel and, uh, you know, Colin McHugh last year were able to do that quite often. Uh, Keuchel winning 20-plus games, uh, McHugh winning 19, and then picked up his 20th in the postseason. How good can those two be this year, and can they actually improve upon 2015 success? Well, they're both bright guys, and they're both curious guys, and they both are always exploring ways to get better. Uh, I'd be I'd be very happy if they didn't get better if they were just as good as they were uh, last year. Uh, Keiko, you know, is really an amazing success story, and he's a reminder to every to every young pitcher that the variables of pitching begin not with velocity, but also just as important movement, location, changing speeds, all of those things. 
And there's nobody better in baseball. I looked up, he was number one in, in all of baseball last year in soft contact and number one in hard contact, meaning he had fewer balls hit hard off of him than anybody else and more balls hit softly than anybody else. And that just tells you he's changing speeds, he's working at a good pace, and, and with their defense working at a good pace is a big deal. Those guys are examples for every young pitcher on the face of the earth that it's not about throwing hard, harder, and harder. And when you think about it with Keiko, that two years ago, he didn't even know if he was going to make the team. He got got his butt kicked one afternoon against the Marlins and went down to the bullpen. And he was as low as low could be. His career was at a crossroads. And he just said, my arm is killing me. And uh, they kept working. He and Brett Strom kept working out there and just ironed out his delivery because Brett was con- convinced your arm is not injured. You're not injured, but your mechanics are all screwed up because, and I think, I don't know that Dallas has ever told me this, but one of the reasons is that you think you've got to throw it harder. You don't have to throw it harder. What you have to do is uh, use all the strike zone. Uh, Jay Happ told me the same thing. He goes, the, the new trend, Billy Bean went out and got a lot of guys with low swing planes because in Oakland because pitchers were so focused on throwing down. So what did the Astros do a couple of years ago? They countered by throwing up in the strike zone, and that's how they got Mike Trout out. And uh, and all of that, and what Jay Happ told me, he says it really changed my career because when you get the upper half of the strike zone, when you understand that you're going to utilize the upper half of the strike zone, that op- that makes the bottom half of the strike zone even more effective. It's a it's a it's an incredibly smart game within the game, and uh, the Astros have excelled at it. One of the big storylines coming out of spring training, Astros spring training, was first base. It's been sort of a revolving door. John Singleton was the guy I think they were hoping signed to the $10 million, $10 million contract. Now it looks like Tyler White, 33rd round pick, is going to be the opening day starter. Do you see Tyler White as the guy for the whole season, or will this be a revolving door probably all season mid to late in the year? Well, that's up to Tyler. Um one of the guys, uh, um, one of the guys in the organization, told me uh, I've never been so confident that a guy was going to hit 300 in the big leagues since Jose Altuve. That he's just a guy that understands the strike zone, has a very quick bat. One of the things that gets lost about Jose Altuve is his hands are Barry Bonds quick, and I mean he is an amazingly gifted guy in getting the bat in the bat head in the zone. And they said Tyler White has some of that. You know, obviously they wanted because of the money and because John Singleton has succeeded AAA. They wanted him. It was his job, and he gave it back to them. So A.J. Reed and there's going to be sort of a competition there. It's Tyler White's. Just take it and run with it. But at some point, Colin Moran, who looks like he's close to being big league ready, A.J. Reed is their top prospect. I think there's some concern about how he'll handle left-handed pitching. So at the beginning, we'll probably get a Tyler White, Matt Duffy, a uh, platoon of some kind with Tucker in there, you know. Um, I guess against Tanaka, against a right-handed pitcher, they'll they'll go with more of the left-handed guys. So Tucker will play. But yeah, it's Tyler White's opportunity. And you know, think about it: thirty-third round draft pick. And it's a reminder that when you're measuring guys, it, you know, as with Paul Goldschmidt, it's it's important, even though it's the most hardest thing in the world to measure the heart and the work ethic and the and the belief in themselves. And that's what Tyler White brings. Not not unlike what Altuve brings. You mentioned a little bit earlier about the atmosphere in the locker room and how the Astros were so loose last year. And part of the reason because part of the reason behind that is because of the youth movement on the team. I mean, you've got guys like Altuve, George Springer out in the outfield, and then of course Carlos Correa, defending AL Rookie of the Year. And then you've got guys like Rasmus and Gomez who just provide that clubhouse. How exciting is this team when it comes to the young guns, you know, the young stars on the club like Correa and Springer? And how do you see them taking that next step this season? It's the most fun, most fun clubhouse I've ever been around, and that begins with Springer. And then when Gomez came, he was the perfect addition to that because he never has had a bad day at the ballpark, shows up running his mouth from beginning to end, getting on guys, making sure that in a long season, if you're in the dugout and you're dragging, uh, George Springer's going to get on you, and he's going to get on the manager. And he, he was so important that even when he was hurt last year, A.J. Hinch asked him to stay around the ball club. The only other time I'd ever heard that happen was when Scott Rowland one year was hurt with the Reds, and, and, the, and they went to him and said, hey, get down there and get in uniform. We need your presence, if not your production. So what's the next step for those guys? We'll see. You know, there's a game adjustment and readjustment. But I think Correa's got a little bit of that Bryce Harper thing in him, even though Harper wasn't a great player. 
his first two seasons, there was never a point where he looked overwhelmed uh, or overmatched. And that was true with Carlos Correa right in the beginning. How's he going to handle success? You know, I think he, he knows he's a celebrity now, and that'll be a challenge to manage his time. But I, I think, uh, I, you know, I think they've got a great thing going in those intangible things we can't know about, we can't really measure. The manager's part of that. The front office is part of that. And obviously, um, the players in there would tell you it's George Springer's ball club, even though he's just a young guy. So let's get a little bit into predictions. We talked a little. There's a lot of uncertainty really of this club. There's a lot of excitement with opening day. Everyone thinks they have a chance. I've seen a lot of people picking Carlos Correa at 21 to be the youngest MVP ever in the history of the game. You're looking at a very tough AL West uh, with the Rangers. What do you see predictions for this club this year with the Rangers and that AL West? Well, the Rangers are an interesting team. They could win nine or they could lose 85 or 87 because we don't know. There's too many questions about what is Hugh Darvish going to do? What is uh, Derek Hollins going to be able to stay healthy? They're a good team. they got a deep farm system. Some of their kids maybe didn't have the spring they would hope they would have. But they're they're in a good place. I think Seattle's a very, very interesting team. And I think it, the sleeper team for me is Oakland. And that just like four years ago when they were not supposed to do anything, they've accumulated a lot of arms. And when you do, when you get pitching, you don't know – uh, how quickly it's going to come. But I know they about their pitching. They're raving about it, and they think they're pretty good, and, and, and that's a big part of the deal. The Angels just have some question marks with Weaver. C.J. Wilson's going to open the season on the disabled list. You know, the left field still still a question for them. Um, I don't know, but I, I would say I'd pick the Astros on day one, and I'd pick the Mariners and Rangers in a coin flip, and then the A's uh, for the American League West is going to be a gauntlet this year. I think it's going to be a lot of fun for those fans that like baseball. But, uh, you know, just looking at the odds and predictions this year, a lot of prognosticators pick the Cubs to win the NL. They pick the, you know, the Giants to, to match them. And then also the, you know, the reigning NL champs, New York Mets. Who do you see as, you know, the favorite in the National League? And are the Cubs as good as advertised? Yeah, the Cubs are as good as advertised. I've looked at them 10 times. I was with them in spring training. There's not a weakness there. And even if you say, okay, I'm not sold on the back of the rotation, Hamill, Hendricks, those guys, they have depth. They have young guys, Solaire, Baez, that they could trade. I mean, there's there's a match to be made there with Tampa Bay and Odorizzi for one of those hitters, something like that, depending on how it plays out. They are, they are absolutely as good as advertised. I think the Giants have a chance to be fantastic, especially if Matt Cain is healthy. Uh, and uh, the Mets are going are to have one of the great rotations if they're healthy. One of the real good rotations we've seen in recent years. So sticking with the Cubs, I know maybe things look great on paper, but this is a franchise that just is seemingly cursed with 106 years since a championship. The curse of the Billy Goat, Steve Bartman, you name it. Even despite all the paper, is there anything to buy into the superstition of baseball that this team actually could get over the hump this year? No, I think it's basically who's got the best players, who's got the best manager, who's got the best front office. Chris Bryant, Addison Russell, Kyle Swarber. They don't know anything about that stuff. I imagine Jason Hayward doesn't even know anything about that stuff. He's got to go out and play, and they're strong. You look at them with Rizzo and Brian and Hayward. And they're they're really a good team, Arietta and Lester. You know, and they've got a manager who will put them in, nurture their confidence, kick them in the butt when they need to kick, kick in the butt, and to keep the environment uh, right. They're uh, none of that 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 stuff is great for us to talk about, but it doesn't matter. Now, moving toward the American League, I mean, you mentioned the Astros is one of your favorites, but you've got a lot of solid clubs in the American League. I mean, you've got uh, the Royals coming off that championship. Uh, the, the Red Sox made several moves in the offseason to kind of bolster up their team. And then you've got the Toronto Blue Jays, who absolutely mashed last year in the AL East. Who do you see as your preseason favorite, I guess, coming out of the American League? Uh, I like the Astros as much as anybody. I think there's a case to be made for Toronto. I want to see what Buck holds. Porcello, those guys do in Boston before getting making a call on that. But uh, you know the, the interesting thing about the American League, I think this is unique in that you could you could make a case for five for for, for all fifteen teams. I'm not sure we've ever had that before. And again, we have Richard Justice on from MLB.com. And Richard, we've really enjoyed the conversation so far. And one of the things that we did on social media prior to this interview is we asked some of our listeners if they had any questions. And one of them came from uh, Joe Holloway. He said, I'm a lifelong Braves fan who is marrying a lifelong Astros fan and moving to Houston. (laughs) 
what should I do? <laughs> well, I think there's no problem. You can have a you can have a divided house, a mixed a mixed team household like that, because uh, there, there's plenty plenty of room for both. What I think though is happens when you move to Houston and you start watching this team every night, you're going to fall in love with them. Having said that, the Braves are in a great spot. They have replenished their farm system, their position to bring start bringing those kids up by the end of the year. Dan Sweet Swanson, I don't know if he's going to be Carlos Correa, but he's going to be a franchise-type player. They've accumulated a bunch of young arms. They have another young shortstop, a kid named Ozzy Albies, and uh, they're close to being good again. It was, you know, When you've won as much as the Braves have won, and you say, okay, we're going to take a step back because we don't like our payroll, we don't like our farm system, uh, that takes some guts to do that. And they've done it. They have the young players now. And by the end of this year, we're going to start to see some clarity, much like we saw with the Astros two years ago. We have another question coming from Justin Bear, but he wanted to know what's your thoughts on the budding rivalry between the Rangers and Astros and what it means for the league. You know, when they played last year in September, I thought it would be better. But both teams, it's, it's really weird how that works. Both teams were so focused on themselves, on their own. The Astros were having problems just getting going, and the Rangers were wanting to keep it going. They'd turned their season around with Cole Hamels. It didn't really seem that the uh, the rivalry burst upon the scene. I think to, to be a rivalry, maybe it's going to be – I don't know how it develops. I think, like, you know, we saw it in the NL Central with the Cardinals and the Astros and the Reds and the Astros. I guess you just have to play for a long period of time and learn to have a, to learn to have a real – healthy dislike for one another and they're not quite there yet one of our last questions comes from tanner frank so we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier but his question was is fister done oh no 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 i i no i think my opinion is he's going to be really good this year now i i was like a lot of people i was not comforted by the spring training but his ineffectiveness last year he's 32 years old his ineffectiveness last year was that he was hurt and down the stretch when he got healthy and got his mechanics screwed uh straightened out uh, he was pretty good. I think Doug Fister has a bunch more quality innings left in him, and I, I would be surprised. He reminds me, like, it, it, from a personality standpoint, intellect, all that, he's a Keiko, he's a McHugh, he's going to Fellman. He's, what they have is they don't have anybody who throws 90 miles an hour, but they have a bunch of guys that understand exploiting the other team's weaknesses, talking about the, talking about the game, exchanging trying to help each other support each other and i think he's going to be a big beneficiary from that and also the fact the scouting reports might be as good as any teams in baseball and the pitching coach might be the best in baseball so if he's got a chance and i think i'm a i'm a huge fan i i think he will do it this year but uh, you know again it wasn't he didn't he didn't he didn't give a lot of big vote of confidence the way they pitch in spring training but I, i've seen him pitch so many solid games and I, I refuse to believe that he doesn't have anything left. That's music to my ears, hearing that the Astros pitching staff is going to be great from top to bottom this year. But, Richard, we really appreciate you taking the time and joining us on the Weekly Brew podcast this week. And for those that are interested in following your work on MLB.com or on social media, where can they find you? Yeah, just MLB.com. And uh, my Twitter handle is uh, one word, Richard Justice. Richard, we definitely appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. One of the first bands that we highlighted on the podcast was the Houston-based band Second Lovers. And last fall, singer Nick Morales joined the show. And now we're excited to welcome on guitarist and social media guru Tom Truver. Tom, how's it going? Uh, pretty good. Pretty great. Thanks for having us. I'm really a fan of the show. I've been listening. It's in my, my weekly podcast uh, selection. I drive around a lot, so I listen to you guys quite often we're definitely big fans of second lovers and you know we were out at uh, eighth wonder brewery a few weeks ago and, and saw second lovers everywhere uh you know especially those new stickers that you have out but i guess since we spoke last with nick uh you know what's been going on with second lovers well i mean what we've done is we've started recording a lot of our own stuff in-house and we're really pleased with what's coming out of there so um we kind of have a lot of stuff on the way that's that's sounding really great so we're kind of excited to see where that's taking us um it's been a it's been a really game changing process. So uh, hopefully everything's going well with it. So you're sort of you know the social media guru for the band and also the, one of the guitarists for the band. Uh, for those that might not be familiar with Second Lovers or you specifically, can you kind of just give us the lowdown on on what your role with Second Lovers is and how long you've been a part of the band? I've been a part of the band for about uh, uh, four years now. Um, the band itself has existed for about six years. 
it started as a uh, as a solo recording project uh, with Nick, uh, and he started putting down some solo tracks with one of his friends. Uh, I joined the band actually while I was out on my honeymoon in New Mexico. I had inquired about joining the band as a bass player, um, and I'd gotten a phone call from him while I was on my honeymoon saying, "Hey man, sorry to let you know this uh, so late, but." we're not going to be needing a bass player. I was kind of like, oh, well, that's a bummer. But it was like, if you want to come in as a guitarist, that'd be great. It's like, oh, yeah, that's totally cool. <laughs> and then, uh, I kind of uh, I kind of went into a panic because I had, prior to that, quit music altogether and got rid of all my gear. I had sold it all off, and I said, that's it, I'm done, no more. Tired of dealing with being in a band, tired of dealing with all that stuff, so uh, that's it. Uh, so... My wife was very accommodating, so we went ahead and got me some new stuff while we were out on our honeymoon and came back to Houston ready to go ahead and uh, start playing in a band. It's great to have that kind of support. And I guess for you personally, how have you seen the the band evolve in the past four years? Well, I mean, right now I feel like we're such a strong group with the people that we have in, in the band. I mean, I, I know like while I try to take on stuff with like social media and all that, I everyone really steps up their game with saying, you know, like, they'll offer our suggestions or they'll offer ideas for shows and even like music videos and all that. And I, I feel like right now is just one of those points where everyone's bringing their best to the table and it's really just going well. I mean, just in, in ideas as far as like, you guys want to just try recording this on our own. And from there, it was just a small idea that we, we kind of looked at and said, you know what? It wouldn't hurt. Why not? And now we're looking at it and we're like, man, this sounds great. Why didn't we do this before? Yeah, so, I mean, uh, so we're excited. So how difficult is it to record kind of on your own? And what sort of process does that take in terms of, you know, purchasing equipment? Do you rent equipment? And how is a recording session? What does that typically look like for you guys? Well, right now we're just using um, our our drummer has gotten a new Mac set up. So we're using that. And he's really taken, taken the lead on that and has gone all out with starting to collect recording equipment. So, I mean, he's really been pretty awesome about saying i need i need new uh studio monitors i'm gonna go get studio monitors you know and we've all pitched in where we could like he was like well i need an actual monitor like a a physical screen so i just gave him one of the spare ones i have around because i'm i'm kind of a, a a tech hoarder so i just threw a monitor into the mix so now we have that over at his place and in regards to to mics and stuff we've just kind of talked around with our friends who are also musicians and they've been really helpful with yeah we can give you like we can let you use these mics for a couple of days you know and we're just making it work with what we have so that kind of goes to one of the things that nick had said back in the fall when we interviewed him is he said that the you know the houston music scene is very much like a family uh that you know all the bands are there to support each other and i i'm guessing that you kind of feel that same way that you know it's a it's a family vibe oh absolutely um nick and i we had um we had a practice a couple of weeks ago and afterwards, uh, I had talked to him about going out to uh, to see Kay Weathers, uh, 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 the, her EP uh, release uh, for for that so wax. So we went out there, and you know, I mean, in that in that time, we saw you know people from like, our friends from like another run, just uh, friends from Muddy Bell and all that. I'm sorry, I'm getting over a, a cold, so my throat's just been horrible. So <laughs> you're we've fine. We've just seen like a. We've seen a bunch of our, we saw a bunch of our friends that night, and it was it was just great. I mean, because it was just difficult to walk through uh, the Nightingale room without seeing someone that we knew, and you know, everyone's just really supportive. And in the end, they were all there to support another Houston artist. So, I mean, it was it was just phenomenal. You've got a big event coming up on Saturday, April 16th from noon to 6 p.m. at Main Street Square called The Big Bash. You guys are going to be performing alongside another Houston-based group, The Sufferers. Can you kind of tell the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's an awesome event from the city of Houston's, uh, I guess, they're placing those art uh, projects out on on the Main Street uh, Square area, from my understanding, from what I've read online. But it just looks awesome. Like, I'm excited about it. And there's a lot of food trucks out there. There's a lot of just uh, local artists. And, you know, I mean, the Suffers are going to be playing there. And they're so phenomenal. I find it always just awesome, the fact that we've gone and we've played shows such as um, Free Press Summerfest or Index Fest. And while we may be at a show where, like, there are so many other artists, I always find myself watching the Suffers because they're such <laughs> an amazing band to watch. So, I mean, at... At Free Press, I mean, I 
I just tried to find my way through the crowd so I could catch them. And then at Index Fest, we made sure to to be out there uh, when they were playing at Trees, while so we could see them play. And it was it was just never never a poor performance. Those guys are always like always on it. They're one of the best groups I've ever seen. So. So for fans of Second Lovers, what can they expect from you guys in terms of your set for the concert? Well, we we have some some newer songs. We um we did a we did uh some of these songs uh at our last show uh December in December, December 17th, I think, when we played with Race to the Moon. And they they were they were ready and and uh we just kind of further developed them and I feel like us recording them has given us a chance to kind of cut things out and add little bits to it. And it, it's just really weird whenever you record something because you, you, you start to examine a song and you're like, that was good, but was it six and a half minutes good? <laughs> you're like, all right, maybe we can cut a little <laughs> bit off of there. All right, so now we're at four and a half minutes. Now it's really good. All right, so four and a half minutes, really good. Let's see if we can get it down to four minutes and make it awesome. So... I feel like recording in this time that we've had off has really helped us with shaping our music and trying to condense it down to kind of kill off any excess that we had. And I mean, that's just led to us writing lyrics. Where we're like, well, we have, we have three good verses. Let's see if we can kind of make it down to like one really good verse. And, you know, I mean, it, it's been great, uh, you know, having that experience. Cause like I said, everyone's bringing their best stuff to the table. So uh, I feel like it's really reflected in our music. So. So what does that creative process look like in terms of, uh, you know, writing songs, writing lyrics? I mean, how does that start? How does that finish? How do you get to that final product? I mean, it could be as simple as someone just coming in and having an idea. And no one's idea is really naysayed. I mean, we've, we basically will work with anything. And, and even like in the past, we've had things where we just got frustrated with working on one song idea and someone will start playing something and in that frustration while everyone's like creative juices are flowing we're just like well man we'll put a pause on what we're just working on let's work on this because that little risk can be something big and you know we put a pause on whatever we're getting frustrated over and work on the other song and you know in the most ideal situation we come back with two new songs i mean that's yeah we just we kind of we kind of just go with whatever's there and we try to explore whatever we can. I mean, we just uh, wrote a song the other night, which sounds very different from what we've wrote before. It kind of, uh, if you guys are familiar with the band brand new, it Mm -hmm. kind of sounds more like that. So we're just kind of laughing about it because we're always marked as an Americana band and we're like, man, we're, we're way like the song's way more pop punk than it is like Americana, but Man, it still sounds like us, but it's it's totally different. So, is, would you say that's that's kind of what a lot of bands do is that they you know can have their sound evolve over time as you know they are influenced by other bands, other sounds, and you know other concerts or venues that they might play. Yeah, and especially the fact that like when you join into a band, I mean you have several other people that are in there, and you guys hopefully are all you know different minded individuals. So, I mean I, I find it incredible because. Our, our newest member of the group, Chris, he, I mean, he, he goes on talking about groups that he's listened to or bands that we should check out. And I have heard like so few of those groups, but like he has such a musical library and you can tell like when he brings stuff to the table, it's just so far out. It's, it's awesome. You know, like Nick and I have similar ideas of like what sounds we want, but we have different musical backgrounds. Like he's, he's very well trained on his instrument and I'm just, most of the time I'm just winging it. So I mean, <laughs> it's, um, uh, it, 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 putting all those sort of people together and, and trying to create something, it, it, it definitely, it, it's a beautiful disaster sometimes and how it all comes together. It's, it's just amazing sometimes. And I'm like, wow, we all got together in a room and we created this and, that's just amazing, you know? Now, obviously, we want all of our listeners to, you know, find your work, uh, Second Lovers. Again, they can find you on uh, Bandcamp, the website, secondlovers.bandcamp.com. But, uh, you know, you had mentioned being influenced by other sounds and kind of listening to different type of music. What are you listening to right now? And if you're recommending anything for our listeners, what would it be? Um, I've been listening to a ton of Delta Spirit for a long time. Uh, I actually have been going back on my 90s kick this week. Listening to a lot more Weezer, uh, Fingerton. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I, put, 
I, I put that on my on my playlist. Uh, and then uh, I've gone back to Childish Gambino. Like he his uh, his album because of the internet is still one of my favorite albums, and I love listening to that. So uh, if there were yeah if there were three things I would suggest, it would be those like Delta Spirit. Just pick any album and you'll be happy. Um, Childish Gambino and you know Weezer just because nostalgia's sake. Definitely like your style there. And again, you've got the the Art Blocks, the Big Bash coming up on Saturday, April 16th. You're going to be performing with the Sufferers. There's going to be food trucks there. There's going to be, uh, you know, several art markets. And I, I'm asking for a friend. Do you know if they're going to have any gnomes there for sale? Any gnomes? I am not certain. Uh, <laughs> I, I do not know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, for those that are interested uh, in, in coming to this event, is it free? Is it, Do they have to purchase tickets online? It is, it is 100% free and it's going to be 100 percent awesome I, I i can guarantee that gnomes pending <laughs> so uh fans of the weekly brew make sure that you go check out second lovers on saturday april 16th from noon to six at main street square downtown houston uh check out second lovers and and uh, guitarist tom truver and tom we definitely appreciate you joining us on the podcast this weekend uh, for those that are interested in you know learning more about second lovers and following you guys on social media hearing more of your music where can they find you uh we are on facebook uh, under second lovers uh if you search for us there if you actually just uh Google us under Second Lovers Band, you will find our band website, which is a work in progress, but we have some big changes coming on there, uh, hopefully uh, as as the record nears. So definitely want to hop on that bandwagon, pun intended, as soon as you can, <laughs> um, and uh, start following it through whatever forms you have. And uh, it'll lead you to our Instagram and also our Twitter and uh, Facebook as well. So definitely check it out. And you just teased the new album. I guess our last question for you is, when is that going to drop? Oh, man. Uh, hopefully soon. I, I, I want I want us to have that done by fall. I want it to be sooner than that, but we are, we're we're working very diligently on it. So just, just know that it's coming soon. We're definitely looking forward to that. And when that drops, we will definitely have you guys back on the show. But, Tom, we definitely appreciate you taking the time and joining us this week. Thank you for having me. It was a blast. I look forward to listening to you guys more this week it's gonna be kind of weird listening to myself on this whenever (laughs) closing time so again another exciting episode of the weekly brew podcast again this was episode 37 and we just had a great conversation with richard justice of mlb.com and also tom truver who is a guitarist and social media guru for second lovers and uh, kevin i I know you weren't able to join either one of those two conversations because of your obligations with the final four but uh, you know after listening to the audio and the conversation what did you think of this week's episode uh, well, you did a tremendous job as always. We're always in capable hands um, whenever you're handling the stuff. So excellent work. Um, baseball, not my forte anyway. So I don't feel like I would have had any really insightful, penetrating questions to ask Richard anyway. I did miss talking to Tom. Tom's a, a good friend of the show, a good friend of both of us. And we love Second Lovers, sort of our unofficial um, band for this podcast. Um, there's been discussion about having them record a theme song for us, but I think we might have to pay them to do that. So that's we're on the fence at the moment. But in any case, I'm excited about the uh, Art Blocks Big Bash on April 16th. I will definitely be there. I'm sorry you have to miss, and uh, I'll certainly be looking forward to seeing uh, Second Lovers and my buddy Tom. So sad to miss that, but uh, but excellent work as always. Yeah, and again, thanks to Andrew Cooley for, I guess, pinch hitting for both you and Jeremy, and I think that you know made a lot more sense to have Andrew discuss uh, Major League Baseball with uh, Richard Justice, because as you mentioned, uh, neither you or Jeremy uh, really knows that much about baseball, so I thought it was a good fit. And, you know, speaking of baseball real quick, I do want to jump back to last week's episode and just chide both you and Jeremy for leaving Craig Biggio off of the Mount Rushmore of Houston sports. I mean, how ridiculous was that? Well, it wasn't an oversight. We actively discussed it and uh, discussed his stats and history and career and then put him to the side in favor of other people there. So it was not an accident. He's he's a lifelong Houston Astro. I mean, he, he took the program to new heights. He is, you know, the first Astro to go in the Hall of Fame. He's so actively involved in the community right now. He's still a high school baseball coach, for crying out loud. I mean, he's done so much good for the community. Uh, he's, you know, ranks up there in every statistical category for second baseman. I, I, I mean, I understand why you picked the guys that you did, but, you know, maybe it's just me being a baseball guy, but I definitely would have had him, uh, you know, somewhere up there with like Akeem and Earl Campbell. And, uh, you know, I thought you had a, a good good selection there with uh you know coach yeoman and and so on and so forth but biggio would have definitely been on my mount rushmore for houston sports but 
Kevin, I, you know, I think it's that time of show where we have to play a little good cop, bad cop. And for those that might be wondering why we're doing this or what we're talking about, it has to do with iTunes. Now, as everyone knows, each week we ask all of our listeners, and we have thousands of you out there, we ask you to go to iTunes and give us a little five-star review. Tell us what you like. Uh, give us show ideas or feedback or, uh, you know, any sort of commentary on things that you would like to hear on an upcoming episode. And uh, this week we had no iTunes reviews. And, you know, I'll take a little bit of blame for this. I was out of the country. We couldn't really promote this episode a ton. And so I told Kevin, I was like, you know, maybe we should just give the listeners a little bit of reprieve. But Kevin is playing bad cop and he disagrees. Listen, you degenerate pieces of scum. All right. I know how much free time you have to watch your Netflix and your movies. You do this, you do that, you go out to bars, you drink, you, do, you got time for everything except the one thing we ask you to do, which is post an iTunes review. It helps us. We've said how it helps us before. What is it exactly that's so important you're doing that you can't do the one thing I tell you to do? So as you just heard through Kevin's censored bad cop run, uh, he wasn't happy. And, you know, I know we have thousands of listeners out there, so just please take the time this week to make Kevin's week a little bit better. Go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, give us some feedback, tell us what you like, give us show ideas. And, and Kevin, maybe we can bring you back to the good cop side. Uh, that, that, I got to say, that felt awful. That didn't, that didn't feel good saying those things and the way that I said them because I, I'm really, I love that people listen. I love that people tune in to hear what we had to say and think and the people we bring on. Um, it really upsets me both personally and like gastrointestinally to have to be that mean. But, but you know, we need those iTunes reviews and it's one of the few things we ask for. In addition to you going out to uh, our sponsor, We Desserts and getting some desserts, which people have been doing in droves this week. So excellent work guys on that front. But um, I feel kind of like my parents when they used to spank me and they used to say like, uh, you know, this is going to hurt me more than you. Not true, first of all. Second of all, I kind of understand where they're coming from now. That hurt me to have to talk to you, the listeners that way, whom I love more than any human beings in the world. So please, you know, just do the right thing. You know, uh, uh, Live right, straighten up and fly right, as my parents used to also say, and uh, and just go leave a review and we'll read it on the air to the other uh, thousands of people that listen. We'll get to hear your review if it is five stars and it is uh, worthy of being read. So just do that and don't, don't make me do that horrible thing again where I swear at you. So I think we just went good cop, good cop. So take Kevin's advice, go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Also, we want to make sure that you follow us on our social media platforms. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find all of our content online at weeklybrewcast.com. But uh, Kevin, I definitely enjoyed the show. Again, thanks to Richard Justice from MLB.com for joining us and Tom Truver from Second Lovers. Go ahead and check them out on Saturday, April 16th. And also thanks to Andrew Cooley for being a guest host this week. But Kevin, enjoy the final four national championship game on monday night and for all of our listeners out there i'm austin staten we'll see you next week and guys remember to brew responsibly this week you've been listening to the weekly brew 